This is your brain on risk. This is Mind Over Money, the podcast where Kevin Cook exposes the psychology of investing. Welcome back to Mind Over Money. I'm Kevin Cook, your field guide and storyteller for the fascinating arena of behavioral economics. We're doing this as a part two on blockchain and all things cryptocurrency, uh, and I'm going to have a special guest, uh, my colleague, David Bartosiak, strategist here at Zacks, who uh, runs a couple portfolios um, and a, a trader who is uh, very interested in blockchain and cryptocurrencies. And he's got uh, he's going to help break a few things down, some of the wild swings that have happened in Bitcoin and what exactly is going on there. We're going to have him on um, after I just uh, do a little intro here. I, w- I didn't get to finish last week the highlights of the article from Mark Andreessen. Mark Andreessen, you may know, a famous uh, venture capitalist. He uh, was very prescient a few years ago on Bitcoin uh, and published a uh, sort of an essay in Dealbook, the uh, New York Times Mergers and Acquisitions publication Dealbook, in January of 2014. And it was titled, Why Bitcoin Matters. I read a few key sections from it that I thought were were important from because I'm trying to get across this idea that uh, blockchain is this real thing. I mean it's it, it is the like the industrial revolution for finance right now. It's going to completely change so many different industries and um, and so you think of blockchain as this financial technology platform, that will change the way we do payments, handle information, everything, anything that can be digitized will benefit from the blockchain in terms of security and ownership and transfer of, of digital digitized assets. So uh, I think I made that clear talking about uh, JP Morgan launching a, uh, a project called Quorum, Q-U-O-R-U-M, uh, just like you think it's spelled. And Quorum is their blockchain experiment. And they've been researching it for years. Um, and so they, you know, they realize that banking is going to change. And that's why they want to be on top of this new digital frontier that we're entering. So the but think of the cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum as sort of sitting on top of the blockchain. They're derivatives of it. They can be used to access the blockchain. And that's what Mark Andreessen helped us understand. Uh, from his uh, his article of over three years ago uh, that I was reading from. And I want to share a few more things, what what he talked about. He didn't talk about blockchain at all. He just talked about, I mean, he, he did, but he but he was focused on Bitcoin and and why it matters and talking about it it being this, uh, you know, the coin is your access to the distributed ledger. So the distributed ledger, I mean, that's, that's what blockchain is. It's, it's DLT, distributed ledger technology. And there can be private DLTs. There can be public ones. Uh, but the Bitcoin is your, he, the analogy he used, it's your seat at the stock exchange, so to speak. Um, and I, the part I didn't get to is, is kind of important here, the way he wraps this up. So let me, let me just read a little bit from his article. In addition, merchants are highly attracted to Bitcoin because it eliminates the risk of credit card fraud. This is the form of fraud that motivates so many criminals to put so much work into stealing personal customer information and credit card numbers. Since Bitcoin is a digital bearer instrument, the receiver of a payment does not get any information from the sender that can be used to steal money from the sender in the future, either by that merchant or by a criminal who steals that information from the merchant. 
Bitcoin's anti-fraud properties even extend into the physical world of retail stores and shoppers. For example, with Bitcoin, the huge hack that recently stole 70 million consumers' credit card information from the Target department store chain would not have been possible. Now, remember, he's writing this in January of 2014, so the, the Target uh, breach had, had just happened um, that holiday season, I believe. So here's how he describes Bitcoin solving that problem in the future. You fill, out, you fill your cart at the store and go to the checkout station like you do now. But instead of handing over your credit card to pay, you pull out your smartphone and take a snapshot of a QR code displayed by the cash register. The QR code contains all the information required for you to send Bitcoin to Target, including the amount. You click confirm on your phone and the transaction is done, including converting dollars from your account into Bitcoin if you did not own any Bitcoin. Uh, he says Target is happy because it has the money in the form of Bitcoin, which it can Im immediately turn into dollars if it wants. Now, remember, this is all hypothetical. And Dreesen's just speculating that Target would be happy with this exchange uh, or some other uh, retail institution. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, as far as I know, except... When we talk to Dave in a few minutes, there is some big news with Square. And Square is a leading innovator uh, you know, in, in fintech. And they may, uh, they may be testing some crypto. So we'll get to that. All right, so back to Andreessen here. Um, so you know, the, the store pays very low payment processing fees using uh, crypto like Bitcoin. And the consumer is happy because there's no way for hackers to steal any of your personal information. And organized crime is unhappy. Uh, <laughs> well, he says, well, maybe criminals are still happy. They can try to steal money directly from poorly secured merchant computer systems. Uh, we'll also talk to Dave about that, about some of the problems with some of these Bitcoin exchanges, people losing their money. All right. Uh, so this is uh, Andreessen wrapping up his uh, Why Bitcoin Matters article. What's the future of Bitcoin? Bitcoin is a classic network effect, a positive feedback loop. The more people who use Bitcoin, the more valuable Bitcoin is for everyone who uses it, and the higher the incentive for the next user to start using the te technology. Bitcoin shares this network effect property with the telephone system, the web, and popular inter internet services like eBay and Facebook. Uh, and so uh, just as an aside here, remember, he's writing in January of 2014. At the time, Bitcoin had just made an all-time high just above $1,000 and then was coming down. Um, and then for most of 2015 and 2016, while the stock market, stock market was sort of in an earnings recession, Bitcoin went to lows. It was trading mostly around 300 bucks. So uh, but what's happened since? I mean, it's it's above seven thousand. So here he's talking about this classic network effect, a positive feedback loop. Positive feedback loop has been sustained. So when people pro were probably telling him he was crazy in twenty fourteen about the bubble and then patting themselves on the back when Bitcoin went from eleven hundred back down to two hundred, uh, thinking they were right, the network effect has uh, has come back. Hugely. So here's here's in detail how he describes this four-sided network effect. There are four constituencies that participate in expanding the value of Bitcoin as a consequence of their own self-interested participation. Those constituencies are, number one, consumers who pay with Bitcoin. Number two, merchants who accept Bitcoin. Number three, miners who run the computers that process and validate all the transactions and enable 
the distributed trust network to exist. Speaking of minors, I just saw John McAfee, that uh, that crazy rebel of uh, you know ninja of cybersecurity. Uh, I saw him on a CNBC interview, and he's been crypto mining for a while. He says it costs him at least a thousand dollars now to get one Bitcoin. And you know this is using heavy computing power, using uh, you know the GPU processors from Nvidia and AMD, running the, these machines constantly with lots of electricity and processing power, and to solve the equations uh, and the cryptography that earn you a Bitcoin uh, of the you know max number. There's a max number of 21 million, and I think maybe they're up to the high teens. So he says he said as recently as a few months ago, it cost him a thousand. Who knows? Maybe it costs him more now. All right, and the fourth constituency are the developers and entrepreneurs who are building new products and services with and on top of Bitcoin. Remember last week I talked about how Ethereum is sort of this next level protocol in terms of a programming language. And uh, I, I called it, I likened it to an operating system to distinguish it from Bitcoin, which has limited capabilities, like an average piece of software. Um, talked to Dave earlier and he said, yeah, maybe you could call it operating system. Maybe it's more. Um, like uh, an advanced programming language. And I, I think that's accurate too. But the, the idea and why JP Morgan came up with Quorum is because, um, and, and Quorum is based on Ethereum, the Ethereum protocol is because they found that it was uh, flexible, versatile, um, and, and you know, rich with possibilities for them to, you know, for developers to create programs on top of. All right, uh, and Andreessen is wrapping it up here. He says, all four sides of the network effect are playing a valuable part in expanding the value of the overall system. But the fourth is particularly important. Obviously, if developers cannot build on top of a protocol or programming language, then it, you know, it can't become an infrastructure that uh, blockchain is imagined to become. All right, final uh, wrap-up paragraph here from Andreessen that I wanted to share. Um. For this reason alone, new challengers to Bitcoin face a hard uphill battle. If something is to displace Bitcoin now, so he, he, he had spent a little bit of time, I didn't read for you, he was talking about the success of Bitcoin at that time while there were other um, creations of cryptocurrencies. If something is to displace Bitcoin now, it will have to have sizable improvements and it will have to happen quickly. Otherwise, this network effect will carry Bitcoin to dominance. That's Mark Andreessen writing three and a half years ago, almost four years ago. I'm sure that you know he'd been working on these thoughts throughout 2012 and 2013, um, and they funded many projects in the Bitcoin blockchain space. So that's how prescient he was, you know. And Bitcoin has is obviously in its own positive network effects to reach the dominance that it has. All right, I'm going to take a quick break here, and I will be back faster than you can spell. Bartosiak. All right, I am back with Dave Bartosiak, a fellow strategist here at Zaxx, a stock picker, and a guy who's fascinated with all things blockchain and Bitcoin. How you doing, Dave? Good. Good, man. Hey, so all kinds of stuff happening. I'm looking at this Bitcoin chart right now. I'm on Coinbase.com, and um, you know we see the big surge above 7,500. Earlier this month, and part of that uh, had to do with uh, CME bringing on futures, sort of validate, validating um, this instrument. And then the thing tanks down to what, like uh, below six thousand dollars, 
And then today we're back up here. What is going on with this volatility? What is driving this? Yeah, lots of action here uh, in Bitcoin recently. It seems like it just happens faster and faster each time that we have these retraces and then and then bids back upwards. The 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 potential for the hard fork. Um, Say what? Once the yeah the hard the potential of the hard fork in uh, Bitcoin in Bitcoin uh, with the Segwit two uh, hard fork was what helped to push Bitcoin prices down. And, and I think it had just kind of gotten to a certain level where people were, were cashing in, maybe. Um, but but anyway, so when the, the hard fork was happening, uh, people were worried that Bitcoin was going to split up into you know Bitcoin and Bitcoin gold. There was going to be a new currency that would kind of uh, overshadow Bitcoin. And then uh, so, so the for- hard fork failed. So fork, they're kind of using it like the the way that we think about a stock split, but but a little different. Like these two, this asset is splitting apart, and and there's this new hybrid asset. Is that right? Kind of. So it basically, you know, you have the blockchain, right, which is this sort of running ledger that's distributed to everyone that kind of tells you where the bitcoins are. Mm-hmm. And as the new miners are finding their bitcoins, they're kind of stamping out the next piece in the blockchain. So they're bringing the blocks, finishing off the blocks. And what happens is sometimes a couple of miners will come at the same time with their solutions, like simultaneously or close to each other. And then they both throw it out there and basically um, give a different direction for where the blockchain should be heading. So it's almost like you've been drawing the map the whole time, and then you get to a hard fork, and those miners, there's two people with a pen at the same time that want to draw the map in different directions. Okay. And um, and is this the not just the miners, but also the developers, the people who write the code and stuff? Yeah. So the miners will um, use the code that the developers have developed, and depending on how many miners adopt the new code versus the old code that's already out there, that will create the fork. Okay. So if enough miners accept that new fork, then it pushes everything in that new direction, and then the older currency would become less valuable because pretty much these cryptocurrencies are only as valuable as their networks. Well, so if more and more people are adopt adapting or are adopting this network and um, approving that blockchain direction, then it's going to be more valuable. I see. So this uh, and this new protocol was called Segwit2, S-E-G-W-I-T-2-X, whatever. I don't know what that means. So it looks like what happened, just from a from a, a stock trader's perspective, it's like, okay, they're not going to fork it. So then the Bitcoin rallies to new highs, and then it drops in an almost sell the news sort of effect. And so we and so last week we saw it go all the way back down to you know like below six thousand, right? Right. And now one other part I, I do want to point out about these hard forks. If you're an existing Bitcoin owner, you, you would still get newly minted coins in that hard fork. So it's it's not like you'd be losing out okay. by owning the Bitcoin. So it, it, in that regard, it's, it's actually closer to like a stock spinoff versus a split. So it's spinoff a new entity you would still own the original entity, plus you would get shares in the spinoff. So it would be the same way on ah. your hard forks. You would still own Bitcoin, but then you'd own you know, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin Gold or Bitcoin Cash or whatever the Okay, the so nobody was losing money and, and any ideas about, oh, the bubble is finally bursting. None of that was really happening, right? No. Okay. So now Not here... Not unless you were fully invested just in that one side of the blockchain 
and we're somehow short the other end of the blockchain. And but overall, no. If you're just holding, it's not you're not impacted negatively by that. Okay, so now I'm <laughs> I just flipped to a one day price chart for Bitcoin, and am I seeing this right? That it's up almost seven hundred dollars to almost seventy three hundred dollars, or over ten percent in one day. What is going on? Yeah. Um, okay. So first, it's it's from the bottom is the failure of the of the fork of the hard fork, and then now today you've got the announcement from Square, not to mention also the CME contract and some other things. Um, that are all helping to kind of validate Bitcoin mm-hmm. as this isn't some fad. This is the real deal. It's here to stay. And there's an ecosystem that's going to continue to be developed around it. And so I think here in the U.S. market, the Square thing was a big deal. I, I have Coinbase on my phone, so I find myself checking Bitcoin prices probably <laughs> probably more times a day than I'd like to admit. Um just out of curiosity, so pretty much any time I'm checking in on Twitter or whatever on my phone, I'm also looking at the, the, the pricing. So overnight, it, it, it already started to creep up a little bit. And this morning when I got up, um, probably around 7 o'clock uh, Central Time, it, had, it was already it was like 6700 I think. And then um, after the U.S. market opened, after the Square News broke, that's when we got up into the 7000s again. Yeah, so what so I'm trying to read here what Square is doing that they're they're testing a peer-to-peer payment system. Oh no, no. I mean Square is a peer-to-peer payments provider, but they're testing yeah. an integration of potential cryptocurrency payments in their right. cash app. Right. So you'd be able to, you know, send somebody, you know, Ethereum just like you can send them US dollars right now for whatever purchase you, you know, whatever, you know, pre agreed upon transaction you do have right so that we hear about these uh wallets like you have to keep your cryptocurrency in a wallet but all i hear is about these things getting hacked and people like i just heard the ethereum platform some exchange or i don't know if it's an exchange or a wallet law like 300 million dollars disappeared so yeah what what's reassuring here is that if Square is coming into the space and Square is sort of like the new PayPal, if they're coming in here, they obviously think that you know maybe they can be the sheriff and clean things up. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely, because they can adapt their existing technology, which is pretty good um, and you know pretty safe over there at Square, and they're hoping that they can adapt that for for the cryptocurrencies. Now that that. What happened over there? That, so that's the parody. Parody is the name of that company. I think it was okay um, out of the UK, and they had a security flaw that allowed some hackers to come in and steal a smaller amount. It was like thirty-two million, I think, that hackers came in to steal initially. So they tried to go in and fix that security flaw. When they were doing that, they exposed another flaw that allowed a single user to control all of the wallets, and that when the guy was going through the code, found out that he accidentally gained control of everybody. He freaked out and tried to give it all back. And when he gave it all back, he just sent it out into the ether pretty so, much. Exactly. And, no pun intended. Yeah, so, no pun intended. So this is and, how, three, how people had thought they had, or collective users, I mean, owned, they thought they owned this, this ether currency, and, and it doesn't exist anymore. And, and, well, it, yeah, it's it's been given away, <laughs> essentially, wow. and it's no longer there. Yeah. 
So that's you know that that's a problem. Most of the wallet you know apps and wallet companies are are supposed to be safe, right? I mean that's the whole point of them. Much safer than like the digital exchange. The exchanges can have problems where people can hack them, but your wallet is supposed to be so unique to you that you're not supposed to be able to have that. That was kind of a, a freak occurrence, I think, over there, or at least they're hoping. Mm-hmm. The other thing, though, is you can have your own hardware wallet. So you can have, like, a USB, you know, a USB hard drive that's your hardware wallet, and you can download your cryptocurrencies onto your own hardware wallet, and then it doesn't matter who gets hacked. You have all that, so you don't have to worry about it. Okay, so there, there are ways to survive uh, becoming a cryptocurrency investor. Now, another... Yeah, and when, uh, you know, with, with Square entering the fray here obviously they've got a lot more resources than you know a couple of these you know fly-by-night organizations that are that are just at the edge of this budding technology these guys have a lot of r&d into that security so i'd be much more i'd feel much safer with a square wallet than i would some of these other guys Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah it's nice to see these credible institutions come in and try and make about a business of this whether it's you know uh, J.P. Morgan with Quorum based on the Ethereum technology or Square or CME with Futures, and we'll we'll talk more about CME in a second. Um, and I'm slightly encouraged also by hedge funds investing. We, we saw a, a story yesterday that, um, you know, a pretty big hedge fund group out of the UK, the, the Mann Financial Group, um, I believe that's who it is, uh, getting ready to add Bitcoin to their investment universe, almost like almost like gold, you know, it's being treated as this asset class, you know, where, where they say, Hey, you know, you should have 5% of your assets in gold. Now they're going to be telling their clients, you know, uh, let's start buying some crypto for you. Sure. Yeah. yeah and that only further legitimizes things. So that, and, so that, uh, I, yeah, we, and, and that's, that's like, people are worried about speculation. Well here, you know, I, I think anything to do with gold is speculation because gold as an asset itself no, you know, only has the value we attributed to it. You know, it has very little industrial value. It's not convertible to currency, so um, you know it, it. It's it's part of the speculation. But the other thing you were telling me is what is this crazy thing going on in Africa, in Zimbabwe, that has to do with Bitcoin and driving it higher? Yeah, so we've there's a coup happening in Zimbabwe right now. Go figure. Um, Without yeah right without getting into too much of the politics behind it because honestly I don't know um, but I just know there's a military coup and there's you know troops running down the Zimbabwe capital um, arresting close advisors of the 93 year old uh, ruler of Zimbabwe right now um, who who they say is is safe and sound by the way but anyway when I, when you have something like this happen obviously that puts stress on the local currency. So the same kind of thing, we'll have been seeing the same thing in Venezuela, uh, where, you know, if the government's about to topple, maybe you don't have so much confidence in that currency over there, right? Zimbabwe is pretty famous for having, you know, hyperinflation anyway with those. I think they have like trillion dollar notes in Zimbabwe. Okay, yeah. Um, So anyway, so anytime there's instability within the government or within the financial um, or financial framework, that creates an opportunity for those people to now start dealing in Bitcoin. And in U.S. dollars right today, Zimbabwe was about 13000 U.S. dollars for a Bitcoin because of this huge influx in demand for Bitcoin on the local exchanges in Zimbabwe because they wanted to get money out of the Zimbabwe dollar. I, I guess I'm a little, I think it's the Zimbabwe dollar. I don't know what they call it. Yeah. Whatever local, <laughs> the local currency is. Um, and into 
Bitcoin, something that the government can't take away from them, right. something that the government can't censor, and something that will hold value. So whenever you have that sort of situation, a shock to the government or financial instability that happens, all it does is benefit Bitcoin because now the average person can go out and have that digital store of value and not have to worry about what's happening. Wow. You know? This is amazing because, I mean, that this means... Th- uh, this is not the last story we will see like this because you know what have, what have we grown up with we've grown up with you know third world countries with uh, whatever political military dictator problems they're having and all of a sudden you know a currency is devalued or uh, you know bills and are eliminated and it just wipes out uh, you know poor people's savings so if somebody can go on their phone and convert their currency, into a crypto, I mean, that's huge, right? Yeah, immediately, and be able to use that crypto as a payment system left and right. Now, here's the other thing to this. At that stage, then, does it matter if Bitcoin is $7,000 or $7 million? Right. <laughs> it doesn't. Okay. It doesn't matter, because I'll convert at whatever the conversion is at that point. I'll have my Bitcoin, and then I will transact business as such. So, if I only get you know, a fraction of a Bitcoin, one, one, one millionth of a Bitcoin. And that's what I ended up converting the equivalent of, let's, let's say it's, you know, a hundred dollars, right? And I get, or a hundred Zimbabwe future, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I have a millionth of, of it. And it's about a hundred dollars worth of stuff. And I know I can get, you know, whatever the heck you could buy a hundred dollars with when you're in a war torn country. I don't mm-hmm. know, bullets, right? <laughs> whatever, whatever you need to get. With that Bitcoin, I'm going to transfer that to the other person, and that's how we're going to end up doing business. So it doesn't really matter what the actual value of that Bitcoin is historically. All that matters is what is it that second that I'm making that transaction and and going back and forth about my business. Yeah, it's like I always tell people who are worried about inflation or the value of the dollar. I'm like, it's all relative in the global currency markets anyway. You know, the the dollar is moving relative to the euro, and you know. Things still have value in your economy, your house, you know, technology, your phone. So, yeah, I mean, just just incredible stuff happening there, and and we're going to see it again and again. Um, So, you know, that brings in the CME futures contract, which uh, they, you know, they said they were going to launch it sometime this quarter, and and now they've updated that. It looks like mid December, and they released the contract specs. you know, it, it's going to be, you're going to trade five Bitcoins. Each futures contract will be five Bitcoins and it'll be cash settled. Um, so it'll it'll bring an interesting dynamic. And the, and the first thing that you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago was now it brings the ability for players to short Bitcoin in a way that they never could because these these right. ti- these tiny exchanges, you know, the, the ones that are getting hacked, and I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to disparage anyone, but but there is risk in these tiny online exchanges that have had problems. Um, they also do not, those exchanges don't let you short. And I just want to clarify one thing. When I say exchange, when I talk about the futures exchange, CME group, that is your blue chip exchange. This is an exchange which has never failed a counterparty because they have a uh, a performance bond system where they take money from both sides and make sure that sellers and buyers pay each other so that there's no, you know, nobody loses money uh, in a futures exchange like CME Group um, 
versus these smaller exchanges that have had problems. So, so do you do you think this is going to add volatility? Are you going to see hedge funds come in and short Bitcoin? I don't think so because hedge funds want to buy it, right? I think we're going to see something that we've never seen before. I think we're going to see a cash market that's so far disconnected from the futures market that it's comical. Okay. Why do you think that? Because I, the, the power of Bitcoin is, is its lack of a centralized authority. And that its utility is kind of spread across the globe. And that these people are off the grid, away from the financial markets, and behaving in this whole kind of ecosystem in and of its own. So then introducing this centralized player where then it can be regulated and it can be, you know, contained, because I'm sure they're going to have daily limits on that for how much it could swing. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of, that's just anti-Bitcoin altogether. And anti what sort of the spirit of Bitcoin is. So I I think the futures are going to whip around all over the place, but the the cash market is not going to be, you know, it's different from any other derivative market, I think. Uh, so it, it, maybe it'll be used for the financial. What it'll allow for is for big banks to interact with each other in Bitcoin terms, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I still think that the, the the overall Bitcoin network and the blockchain separate from the futures is going to just move independently, completely on its own, and not care that CME Group is putting constraints on it. Like, is there anything with regards to what that daily range might be contained to? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the volatility is so big. I mean, you're talking 70, 80% volatility um, annualized, you know, maybe, you know, even 100% volatility annualized. So the, the daily volatility ends up being something like 10%. And hey, we've got a 10% move today. Um, so right. if, so if, if the daily volatility is anywhere between 5 and 10%, I mean, you're going to have to have a performance bond. Uh, that's what the CME exchange calls it. Uh, instead of, um, they don't call it margin anymore. They call it performance bond, which is your guarantee that you can pay your losses, whether you're long or short. Um, I mean, it could be 25% of the contract value. Uh, and, you know, and obviously the brokers, the the, the futures commissions merchants who are holding your account will, you know, they'll have a electronically triggered that, hey, you know, once you use up so much of that margin, you're blown out of that position. But yeah. one thing I want to say in favor of of the exchange is that whenever they create a futures contract, you know, they're not, number one, they're not trying to replace a cash market. Um, they're just trying to provide risk management on top of and for that cash market. So that, you know, that, you know, that's the, um, the derivative aspect. They're just deriving the, you know, the futures contract derives its existence and functionality from a cash market. And the cash market is usually always bigger. So if they can have the correct reference prices, because I mean, for there to, for there to be a Bitcoin exchange, if I was going to open an account on one of these small exchanges and, and start buying Bitcoin, um, I would want the exchanges to somewhat agree on price, you know, that they're, that, that yeah. there seems to be because here here's what in in all cash markets that have derivatives um the unifying force is arbitrage in other words if somebody can come in and buy something at one price and go to another place and sell it at a higher price 
within seconds, minutes, or hours and, and pull off that arbitrage, they can lock in a profit. And arbitrage forces things back together. So that that's always been the nature of futures and cash markets and the way they relate to each other. So I think that as long as there's enough smart players that can arb things, that the futures market will act as it should and use whatever reference rates it's using. And, and right now, I think the CME, um, if you go on the CME group site and, and look for the Bitcoin page, you'll, you can find out exactly what price information they're going to use to reference so that they can say, okay, here's the closing price on this day, and here's where you'll be marked to market. And they're using multiple exchanges to create a reference rate. And the CME didn't just make this up. They researched it for over a year um, and tracked their uh, Bitcoin reference rate. I believe that's what they call it, a Bitcoin reference rate, BRR. And they researched this and tracked it and found that they could create some sort of stable price discovery mechanism. So it'll be extremely interesting. And 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 I I pity the fool who comes in and tries to short Bitcoin right away, thinking it's a bubble, because this thing could go to 10,000 this year, right, Dave? Well, why are they picking five coins as I, the contract? You know, I think they probably looked at what would be, you know, when they're looking at the volatility, they're like, well, how much um, contract value do we want people to hold? You know, in terms of if if we have to ask a performance bond from them that's ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars just for the right to trade this, then you know they need to they need to keep the contract size small enough because what um, it creates a tick value, meaning what's the minimum fluctuation? The minimum minimum fluctuation is going to be five dollars, and so five contracts at five dollars is twenty five dollars. So every time. The you know the price moves against you five dollars, that's worth twenty five dollars in the futures market because you own five of them, right? So that's the they yeah. they're, they're giving you a little bit of leverage, and who knows? Maybe they'll reinvent the contract. But I, I think they wanted to start small because they knew the volatility was so high, and they don't want anybody um, getting too heavily exposed. So it's I mean I I think it it will bring some sort of. Uh, taming to the wild west and and the only thing that's regulated on the cme really is just what you trade there it's still you know they still need to use a cash market reference rate to settle it so when if people want to trade the future of bitcoin you know and you're going to be trading a you're going to be trading a let's say they launch it in december the first contract expiration might be march if they do it on the quarterly cycle so you're going to be trading you know for march and then there's going to be the the it'll take a while for the firms to sort out the arbitrage, but if they get enough of the big banks involved, and I, I know Goldman was going to start a trading desk um, a couple of months ago, so if if those guys if those rocket scientists are ready and they've created a model to arb this thing, it's going to be extremely interesting. Yeah, the first few months, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have plenty of popcorn. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and I'm gonna sit back and watch because it's it's gonna be. I mean, I can't think of. And, you know, obviously, obviously, I'm much younger than you are, Kevin. But uh, in my lifetime, yes, <laughs> I'm just razzing you. Uh, in my lifetime, I can't think of anything um, at this 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 monumental coming I, through. You know, and just a new it, it's a new asset class. It is, and it's like you, you and I joke when we're reading about it. I'll ask you questions, and we're like, you know, you said to me, "Well, this is where my mind starts folding in on itself because." 
you know, it's so abstract and it's like we, you know, it's like we've entered some sort of sci-fi movie where we're in the computer, you know, chasing coins around. So, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, I got to have you back on more of my podcast because I want to talk about things with you like um, Xbox just launched their new One uh, X platform and I hear the sales are good. You got any views on that? I know you're a, a game fan. Yeah, you know, um, so there, there's been the war, you know, heck, back in the day, it used to be Nintendo versus Sega, right? Um, of the, the NES versus the Genesis. And then now it's it's been, it's for a while now, it's been PlayStation versus, uh, well, Sony's PlayStation versus Microsoft's Xbox um, in, in the battle for console and living room supremacy, really. Right. Um, so the Xbox, the new Xbox, um processing speed way quicker than what you're going to see um out of out of sony right now and on par with nvidia's cards from the generation previous Mm -hmm. and uh they're allowing you to be able to to uh to upgrade over time that's one of the things with the console it's always been a negative is that you buy it you get it and that's it you got to wait for the next generation to come out to get upgrades okay but here microsoft is uh going to allow for upgrades over the years that they'll release, so you won't you won't have to you know buy new and new consoles every time to just kind of keep updating the one you have. Yeah, I was excited um, when I saw. And su- then of course they say that now, but then they'll be like, you know, oh yeah, they, change their minds. Yeah, they want to sell they want to sell new stuff, but they want to give people that confidence to go out and say, hey, I could I could buy this, and it'll be the fastest thing on the planet, you know, or it'll be fast enough for what I want to do for all the games I want to play. It'll be fast enough for maybe three years. You know, you got to have that right, kind of. So- Absolutely, and where you're at right now with in terms of resolution, 4K resolution, um, and you know, a 60 frames per second is what most of the TVs are at, and that those cards, those chipsets inside of there, are going to be able to do that no problem. But you won't even know. Yeah, I read that the uh, the, the Xbox One X they call it has six teraflops of computing power, which is like. I mean, you know, Terra implies trillion, and Flops is these floating point operations to handle all those graphics and possibilities, right? Yeah, that's a lot of, and that's what they do. It's all calcul- just calculating um, all those different, um, you know, visual cues. Yeah. And that's, that's all it is. It's just a big, giant math processor, which is why NVIDIA um, benefits so much from these mining, these miners coming out and buying their cards. Because that's all those NVIDIA graphics cards really are. They're just little supercomputers. Oh yeah, we didn't even I didn't even talk about that. That yeah, to 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 mine the the cryptocurrency, you need these GPU chips. Uh, but I think I did confirm that the Xbox One X is still using AMD chips. So that they are. that's interesting. Yeah. So we get we got that battle too. You you talk about your your console battles of uh, Microsoft versus Sony and PlayStation, and then we have the uh, you know the the artillery inside of them battling each other amd who just who just uh realigned with intel of all people their old arch enemy and yeah. because intel realizes it needs to take on nvidia in the whole deep learning artificial intelligence space i'm oh, glad boy. intel decided to uh wake up from its sarcophagus <laughs> and and come exactly. to the table and realize that it is in fact a tech stock because i don't know what they've been doing for the last decade yeah. yeah, they were getting their lunch eaten. All right, so and I, you know what? I got to have you on again soon. We got to talk about cars too. Big day tomorrow. Tesla is going to unleash or launch or unveil this new truck. What's that all about? So rumors, right? First, of course, it's going to be an electric truck. 
Daimler's already had electric trucks. There's all over the globe. They've already got electric trucks. That's not the big deal. Right. Autonomous, autonomous truck. Now you're talking. They're yeah. saying uh, the, the first stage, the first cars or vehicles to be fully autonomous are likely to be trucks. Yeah. Because you don't have the demands of the commuter. You have kind of more centralized places where they're leaving from and where they're going to. So it presents fewer challenges uh, to do it, the autonomous truck fleet. Yeah. And, and so there's that. There's also a rumor. Listen to this, though. What, what if? What if there's some kind of partnership with Amazon? Whoa. <laughs> yeah, because he's always got to surprise us with something. So there's going to be something coming out of the woodwork, right? Or so, something out of the, yeah, uh, yeah. the Gigafactory. So that's what the rumor mill is. And, I, you know, I'm not going to fuel the rumor mill here, but I'm just saying that's that's what people are, hey, what if? Yeah. You know? I mean, Europe because- Europe loves the uh, the idea of, uh, uh, you know, autonomous trucks right you know they're they're all yeah. on board whereas whereas you and i and most people we know they don't want to be driving down the road and look at a an 18 wheeler next to them and nobody's sitting there um but asia's on board too and and yeah stuff is happening so fast i uh, you know i own i should mention the stocks i own here i own nvidia i own amd and i also own um alibaba and baidu baidu is partners with nvidia they're getting ready to do autonomous cars in china and yeah. um and and Baba just bought a logistics company. They already own part of this uh, logistics company. So in their effort to do more of the Amazon model, you know, they've got to cover logistics. So yeah, it would make sense if uh, yeah, these car companies are turning into tech companies. <laughs> Amazing. And these stuff. tech companies are turning into logistics companies. Wow. And then they're starting to get. It's crazy. The and and yeah, we can talk about it next week or whenever, yeah. but. The Volkswagen parent Geely, they just bought a flying car company. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, and Uber and NASA are supposed to team up to do taxis to do flying taxis in LA. Man, the, so, fu- the future is coming at us so fast here. Well, this is how it happens. It it it's a slow crawl, and then all of a sudden there's money to be made, and then the rush of money happens, and things go very quickly. Yeah. So that's what's happening with electric cars right now. Is you know, this the electric cars autonomous? There's a huge, huge just just influx of cash that's going into that space because whoever figures it out first is going to make a ton of money. You know, it, it was only, even up until a year ago, I always forgave myself for not taking uh, uh, computer programming classes and, you know, learning to be like a computer engineer. But now yeah. that this stuff is moving so fast and you got, you know, the, the people that are winning are the ones that, that can program, you know, the next innovation. So... Uh, I, you know, I'm going to be waxing somebody's Lamborghini for him probably to, to, to <laughs> just to survive this tech onslaught. All right, Dave, hey, thanks. There, thanks for coming on the show. Need Lamborghini waxers anyway. So <laughs> thanks so much. Thanks so much. For All having right. Me. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one. All right. All right. We're over and out here on mind over money. And, uh, yeah, Dave will, Dave will be back with us soon to talk cars and whatnot. All right. Take care. And thanks for joining me.